Hey, it's G220 Radio, and tonight we are talking about church discipline. Is it important? Should churches do it? It's been in the the news lately, uh, articles going around, and it's brought up this conversation for church discipline. Well, tonight here on G220 Radio, we're going to talk about it. We're going to look at the Bible and see what it says here on the other side. And welcome to episode number 525 of G220 Radio. It's Mike and I here, and we want to welcome you to the program. Mike, how are we doing, brother? Doing pretty good. Pretty. I don't want to say I'm excited about this topic, but it's definitely an important one. And I was listening to a podcast with um, Jim Renahan, Dr. Renahan, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how church discipline is a mark of like reform or particular Baptist churches They kind of churches broadly don't practice it. So here we go. Throwing yeah, it's definitely, roots. it's definitely an important topic. I, I think there, there probably is a lot of churches that do not practice church discipline out there today. Um, but it is biblical. It's biblical. We're going to get into it here. Uh, and we have a couple uh, guests to join us as we have this conversation tonight. Uh, we have Jamie Terry. Jamie's been on the program before. Jamie, welcome to G220 Radio, brother. Appreciate it, brother. Glad to be back. And we have Jason. He is the Dear Woke Christian. You can find his YouTube channel on YouTube. And uh, so you'll find it there. And he's putting out a lot of great content in dealing with the whole woke social gospel, social justice, and uh, been dealing lately with uh, some other things as well. Um, and so I'll, I'll let these guys give a little bit about themselves and he can plug some of those things that he's got coming up here uh, that would be beneficial and edif- edifying uh, to the body. So Jamie, why don't you go ahead? Well, Jason, first, welcome to the program. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you, Ricky. Yeah. Thank you. Nice to meet you all, fellas. So Jamie, why don't you go ahead for the listeners who maybe uh, are tuning in for the first time, just tell a little bit about yourself. Uh, and then we'll do the same as soon as you're done, Jason. Go ahead and share a little bit about yourself as well. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in a Bible believing home when I was seven. Asked Jesus into my heart. Thought I was saved. Lived in habitual sin for the next 12 years. Uh, my world was rocked by Paul Washer's shocking youth message. And the Lord opened my eyes to see the glory of Christ that uh, the cross was not just about uh, a guy showing me he loved me, it was about a bleeding substitute bearing the wrath of God for sinners and that salvation doesn't come by quote unquote, inviting Christ into your life, but repenting and believing 
Uh, Christ became glorious to me that day, and the Lord saved me. Shortly after that, I began to be passionate about proclaiming the gospel. I started doing street evangelism and was influenced by Ray Comfort, guys like that in the early days. Uh, Bill Adams got hooked up with him. Uh, and then the Lord began to move my heart toward pastoral ministry and spent two years in Syracuse, New York, shepherding a flock there, uh, Christ is King Baptist Church. Wonderful time there and uh, moved my family back home. Just my wife missed family, missed home and felt if I was going to love her with the meekness of Christ, I needed to bring her back. And uh, so we're here seeing what uh, doors the Lord might open for us. All right. Well, thanks again for being on the program, brother. And uh, looking forward to getting out there again at some point with you to evangelize, maybe uh, get down there in Tennessee area. So, uh, and Jason, brother, uh, the dear woke Christian yes, yes, here tonight. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, anything you got going on as well. Sure. So my name is Jason. I write and I'm the author of Dear Woke Christian, the blog, as well as the podcast. I live here in Atlanta, Georgia, with my beautiful wife of 20 years and my two teenage daughters um i decided and jumped into this fray of writing and discussing critical theory and critical race theory because i realized that it wasn't a biblical gospel that it was a different gospel and the narrative and the story that was being told was not my story so as they were saying hey this represents all people of high melanin content i said wait what about me because that's not my story and so I decided that I wanted to make sure that my story and others who don't agree with critical race theory and the such and don't believe in the, the gospel of social justice and the such had a, had a place to, to let their voices be heard. So that's what I do. So that's what, that's what Dear Woke Christian is about. It's a challenge and a, it's provocative because I want people to think. So as you kind of alluded, this um, I've kind of taken a slight turn in discussing critical race theory and just discussing overall that Christians don't ask enough questions. So I took an author and writer and blogger who seems to be very popular nowadays out in the in these YouTube streets. And I'm just going through her book and I'm just asking questions. So um, Lady Roy's, Julie Roy's and I are going through, uh, are having a little tango as I go through her book and just show that this is not biblical, people, and we need to ask more questions before we espouse and take on somebody's um, theology and their doctrine without asking these, these very poignant questions. So that's what I do, and that's Dear World Christian. Yeah, and thanks again, brother, for have, uh, coming on the program tonight. We're, we're uh, My thankful to have you. And this conversation, as you was talking about uh, Julie Roy's, and, and now the, the, the show tonight is not about John MacArthur and the whole situation, but Julie Royce did write this article that was speaking against John MacArthur and church discipline. And, yep. and so it brings about this conversation that we're having here tonight, because I think as I was viewing conversations about this, people online, social media, and social media is great. We're using it right now as a platform to encourage, to edify, to challenge, uh, to talk about things when it comes to the Bible, but it doesn't replace and cannot replace the local church. So it's good to listen and learn and be edified, but we want to encourage you to get into a local church, be a member of a local church, submit to a local church, and have that influence in your life, right? Yes. And so that being said, it brings up this conversation, and we see these interactions on social media, uh, and I'm sure it's happening outside of social media, because if it's on social media, too, it's considered the marketplace of ideas, so to speak, today. 
And there's a lot of misunderstandings when it comes to church discipline. Um, and just, again, like I said, I'm not seeking to make this about MacArthur, but I want to use some of those things for the conversation tonight. C certain things that were mentioned in the article and speaking uh, when it comes to church discipline was it was to shame, publicly shame someone. So that's something we kind of want to look at tonight. What does the Bible say? Why does someone publicly put that out there? And then we want to talk about what are the steps to um, church discipline? How do we get to this point? Is it something that just should be automatic? Somebody sends you, put them out of the church. These are questions we want to answer and look at from the Bible uh, and mm -hmm. see what the Bible says about it. So before we do do get into that, I want to give you, give you each of you an opportunity to just share a little bit about this topic on church discipline, maybe what you've been seeing, or maybe even in your own experiences, things that uh, have come up in this conversation. And we'll start with you, Mike, because you are a host of the program. Let's see what, what you got to say, brother. Yeah. So this is a topic, obviously, being in seminary, something you have to kind of learn and consider. Even when I'm my undergrad at Liberty University, this was a class, part of a class that we um, had to take. And I've never been part of church discipline. Um, my church has relieved a couple members that are no longer attending for various reasons, but they weren't disciplined out of the church in that way. But we watched a video um, of a, a guy who was caught, caught in adultery and being disciplined from his church, the actual kind of final um, moment. And when they announced, they brought it before the church and they announced it. And just watching it on video was impactful, um, done biblically. Like there was this strong, this is the sin this guy's committed and we're excommunicating from the church, but this excommunication is for restoration. It's to acknowledge he hasn't act within the accordance of the commands of Christ. And because he was a leader of a ministry, this even was a bigger deal in it because he's leading a ministry. There is this perception in a sense, he's similar to an elder or a pastor. And I think when we come at church discipline this way, and we'll see it in the scriptures, that this is a time to really set apart our hope in the resurrection of the Christ. Yes, he's getting kicked out of the church. Yes, he's to be counted as the sinners. But the goal is to awaken his conscience so that he will repent and trust in Christ and be restored back to us. Cause that's the hope. And when we read the scripture and we go to Matthew 18, this is the hope that even Jesus tells us. Yeah. Jason, you want to go ahead and give some thoughts as uh, oh, we get into oh. this conversation as well. Absolutely. I want to say, so the leaders in my church went through a book called the handbook of church discipline pretty nice book by um, Jay Adams. And I want to propose that every one of us does church discipline on a regular basis. Now, what we're, what we're used to thinking about is the, you know, the final excommunication, mm -hmm. but really church discipline is, is, 
as simple as you correcting me when you see me speaking foul to my wife. And you say, hey, Jason, you know, you probably shouldn't talk to your wife like that. And I'm like, hey, you're right, man. You're right. And I go repent to my wife and I've been restored. That's the first step of discipline. Like literally, I mean, we, we do church discipline or a form of it all the time. So mm -hmm. I think, I think so we should not look at it as some boogeyman or even something negative. It's something we're doing all the time. For, for crying out loud, if, you, if you're a parent, you're disciplined. You're doing some, felt, some level of disciplining your children when you disciple them. So yeah. I, I want to just encourage people like, man, we're, we're, we're always doing this. So mm -hmm. what can we do? I think a better question is, what, are the, what can we do to better do steps one, two, and three so that we don't have to right. see step four? Because right. step four is the one that most people get, know about. But you mm -hmm. know, step one, how about that one? So that's what I would say. Yeah. And Jamie, uh, any thoughts you want to add to this as well? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's an important point that church discipline thought about rightly happens, should happen more frequently. Uh, we, we sin, we need personal confrontation or rebuke and loving admonishment. And that should be happening a lot more in the local churches. We stimulate one another to godliness. And as I said, you know, if, if we did more of these steps previously, it might prevent the final step of excommunication and, and more severe forms of church discipline. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of people just misunderstand church discipline. Uh, I think they think that it's, it's about uh, wanting to look better than other people. It's about wanting to be inclusive. Uh, in reality, as Mike was saying, you know, one of the primary purposes of discipline is the restoration of the sinning church member. It's about mm -hmm. the purity and unity of Christ's church. It's about the glory of God. Uh, those are important things that are compromised if a church isn't willing to practice church discipline. Yeah. Yeah, and it's very important. And, and I think that's what we, we want to consider and we should be considering is it's not about that final step. Ultimately, it can get to that point, but it's about love. This is why the local church is so vitally important. It's about loving one another by correcting each other when we are stepping out of line. And we all have this flesh that remains. We all still battle with it. And there's going to be times where we need the correction of another brother who loves us, who cares for us, uh, or sister to another sister to say, hey, you are stepping out of line. And I wanted to bring this to your attention because I care for you. Um, and that's another thing I do want to kind of get into as we get later into the program is talk about there are some times where there's abuses that can happen within church discipline. But that is not the biblical uh, way that we, we should view it. And when there is a bad situation that happens in church discipline, that doesn't mean we throw it out. That doesn't mean we just disregard it. Because we got to remember, there are we're all sinners. And so some people will operate in sin, whether they're in the leadership or in under the, under the as a lay person. So we yes. have to look at it from the biblical perspective to the best of our ability. Uh, and hopefully we will be able to do that here tonight. So let's... Let's read this, and then we will go ahead and kind of chop it up, talk about it, and uh, see where it goes from here. All right, so in Matthew 18, all right, in Matthew 18, Jesus is then explaining to us that if a brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. And so I want to stop right there because this is that first step that we've, we've really been talking about here. And it's, it's very important as we're discussing this that we understand, because here's what tends to happen. As, as a street preacher, as somebody who's gone out in the streets, when you're telling people, repent, turn to Christ, you get often, and, and anybody's going to get this, 
Stop judging. Don't judge. Don't judge. Well, within the church, our, our mindset should be a bit different. Our mindset should be that when a brother is confronting, the first thing, we, uh, we have pride. Uh, you know, it's, it's there. And sometimes we don't recognize it. We don't see it. But as Christians, our first response shouldn't be to get mad when somebody's confronting us. We should say, okay, brother, sister, let me, let me consider what you're saying. Let me examine that, mm-hmm. right? That would probably alleviate a lot of going on to the next step. But because of that pride, because of the uh, issue of not wanting to be corrected, even within a, in a local church, sometimes then we move on. So l- let's go here, this first verse. Jamie, we'll come back to you, and let's talk about this a little bit. So I just want to... So what you said there? Sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, just before Jamie go, let's set up some context. I think this is important in relation to what we've, we're going into when we start from the beginning of Matthew 18. Sure. And when he, I mean, starts talking about the church and those who tempt people to sin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who are the people who receive the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's those who humble themselves. The one who has kind of this faith in Christ that they will give to him. And then coming in verse seven, you have the woes of the temptation and to kind of the language of cutting your foot off. If it causes you sin, this kind of dying to self and controlling your sinfulness, moving into then those who diligently go after the kingdom. So there's a, there's a cutting off of sin. There's a diligence of seeking the kingdom. You kind of even here is reminding of what he said earlier in the sermon of the Mount and the going after, and these are the people of God. And now he comes to here in 18. What happens if one of these people have sinned against me? I think and that helps us to understand now the context in which all of this is happening mm-hmm. and our, our equal position in faith before our Savior. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Excellent. Jamie? Yeah. yeah. You know, I think setting into that context was really helpful. You know, um, you know, those who refuse to cut off their sin and deal with their sin are the ones that eventually, you know, come into the church discipline. Uh, you know, I think one thing about Matthew 18 you'll notice is there is a very gracious process. Perhaps perhaps mm-hmm. some people within the church hurt themselves. So, so on one side of it, you have, uh, if someone confronts me in my sin, I get confrontational. On the other side is how are we confronting our brothers and sisters in their sin? Are we gracious in the way we do it? You know, Galatians yeah. 6, uh, he used called the trespass. Uh, you are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's important. You know, and I think the the, the process is prolonged for a purpose to give time for repentance. Uh, and, and it's got to be extended with grace. And so, but yeah, you know, if, if, if we're living, that's why the local church, I think is so neglected, uh, biblical local churches. It's easy to sit behind the computer mm-hmm. and, and listen to theological ideas or even feel good messages. But it's another thing to live in community with other people who uh, life is under the scrutiny of other people and under the word of God. 
and that is uncomfortable and we want to have our own we want to live our life the way we want to live it and then have our feel-good message that's not how it works in the biblical local church and i think that's why church discipline don't judge me becomes a cop out yeah it becomes a cop out let me do what i want yeah jason yes what would you like so i loved how mike started out i mean I think we almost have to go back and re-examine what church membership is because for the last 25 years, we just had like this open cattle call for church membership. And we got people in here that are not converted. I mean, I mean, Mike did a fantastic job of, of outlining. I had to pull it up like, man, I never looked at it like that. And like this, this seriousness of what it means to be a Christian. So you you almost need that as a groundwork, the bedrock, to in order to build so that when we get to the situation where Mike may have sinned against me or I've sinned against um, against Ricky, then how, how do we go about it? Because we're in this, we've already come, we've already got the groundwork already laid down. We are mm -hmm. Christians. We are in Christ. So therefore, I don't sin against you. I'm not willy nilly about sinning against you, and I want to I want to make it right so we can continue to build on Christ. So I think that was excellent. Thank you for pointing that out. And um, yeah, step one, I mean, should definitely be um, looked at with seriousness and, and I love it. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that is, it is important to, you know, Jamie, when you brought up this, the idea of how we then approach someone, I mean, a gentle <laughs> answer turns away wrath. We know that from the scripture um, and I think it really reveals the heart of the individual that is bringing forth the charge, right? It's one thing if you sin against me and I'm coming to correct you. Is it because I'm upset, I'm mad that you've done this, and so I'm going to let you have it, and if you don't accept it, I'm taking you to the pastor and trying to get you out of here? That shouldn't be my motivation, right? That should be, in my heart, coming to someone who sins against me should be the the motivation what's what's in there should be love and compassion for this brother or sister in Christ because ultimately we want to glorify God in all that we are doing and and as you said when when we are living together in that community of a local church um, there's going to be people that don't like your personality or you don't like their personality there's going to be a lot of people that it normally probably wouldn't hang out together, but right. because you're in this local church, you have in common this, this one great thing that is, is better than anything else in the world. You have Christ. And so therefore, because we're unit, we're unified in Christ, then we can still come together, love on one another, encourage one another, build up one another and correct one another in love. And so if you're in that look, this is why that, Again, the local church is so vitally important because if you're in a local church doing life with these individuals, yeah, you're going to butt heads. But if you truly love your brother and sister that you've been spending time with serving, they've been serving you and, and, and doing all these things together, then you're not seeking to automatically just come and bash them. You're seeking to come to restore them because you care for them and you would hope the same thing for them, for, for them for, towards you. Yeah, and I think if we consider this even in a light of this. Yeah, that's why. Sorry, Jamie. I don't know if, if um, everybody else can see it. Your, your screen is frozen for me. I, yeah. I see your screen frozen. But that yeah, you're frozen. down in Tennessee. That might be like Mike up there with Spectrum. You got Spectrum? 
I have spectrum. Yeah. See, it's that oh, spectrum. There it is. Yeah. Yep. That's no, you, I can hear you, but like your your screen's frozen. Yeah. So, when I think about this, obviously, the even the the judge not lest you be judged. Let's, let's go. It's Matthew six. I think there's principles here for us to consider. That how am I coming? You know, we've talked about, you know, coming in love. We're coming. Um with grace and mercy, understanding our own sinfulness, this kind of that examining my heart and even thinking about, you know, is this sin something I should bring up? Mm. You know, you know, is there, there's a point in which may my love for them. It's maybe a one-time thing. Maybe I should. Um, yeah. Cause love covers let it go. Sins. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. So having that idea, but I also need to come, as we mentioned, in a way that honors this commitment that they are a brother. We're seeking their good. I have examined myself and before I'm coming before you to make sure I'm not one who, if I'm hypocritical, I understand my hypocrisy and I've taken it to the Lord and now seeking to also bring kind of that restoration with it. And so church discipline really comes down to when it starts, what's the, the matter of the heart. And if you come pharisaical in a way and kind of this holier than now, well, you're just asking for it to go bad. You're, you're putting yourself and your holiness above this person Instead of understanding that the only holiness I have is the holiness given to me by Christ, and they have that same holiness if they're mm -hmm. a believer. And I need to come in that way. All sinners are equal at the foot of the cross. And to have that understanding and that graciousness. I mean, Paul rebuked Peter. And we don't know exactly how he did it. Obviously, there are some strong, probably strong words. But it was because he was living, living contrary to the gospel and wanting him to conform his life to the gospel. That's kind of the attitude we want to come with. This attitude of wanting to give forgiveness, wanting to have them grow in holiness and to, and in one sense, to spur them on in good works and love and good works, as Hebrews would tell us as our goal every time we meet together. I think, again, that church discipline, the start of it, that's the same goal. Yeah. Jamie, you was going to say something. Uh... Yeah. yeah, just picking up on what you said, you know, uh, I think this is why sanctification is measured in community. Anybody can read books and sit at home and feel holy all day, but it's when you get around other sinners when mm. you put your sanctification test. Are you really growing in holiness? That growing in grace <laughs> growing in love for others, the fruit of the spirit, manifesting those righteous attitudes of Christ. And uh, that's why the local church is so uh, challenging because our sanctification is really measured there. Mm. Yeah. And that's good. And again, I mean, amen to all of that. And just realizing that doing life and interacting with one another, or as my friend likes to say, forbearing with one another as we're trying to do this journey together, as we're walking through this journey together, is tough. 
and but it, it's a it's a blessing and it's a it's a grace that we're able to to sharpen one another and to correct one another and to keep one another on track so we're not doing this christian journey alone so that was just something i want to add yeah all right so as we move into this this next verse here um we're moving on to this next step right so if your brother listens to you you've gained a brother but if not now what do we do it says but if he does not listen take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses now i think this is uh um sometimes misunderstood and and i don't even know if everybody agrees will agree with me here but i think that what's happening here is that that you're not taking necessarily these individuals who are on your side to go listen to examine this situation because if you're bringing them on your side because you could be the one bringing the charge against somebody but it might not be a charge that's necessarily needing to go to this step or further and so these witnesses are coming to hear the story to hear what's going on and then as they're hearing it then they're able to say okay this brother's you are in sin brother or you know what i think you're you're coming at this person wrongly. And then they're able to establish that to then decide whether there needs to be moving forward or not. Any thoughts on that? No, I can, I can definitely appreciate that. And I think you're, I think you're spot on the money that it is again, almost like a, for lack of a better term, they want to hear us out and make sure that if Mike's issue is truly an issue with Jason, or is it just maybe Mike just has an issue? Yeah or whatever like that. So I, I totally agree with that. Um, and it's not just, let me go get somebody who I know, hey, Mike, mm -hmm. you don't like Ricky either, right? Okay, let's me and you go over and call him out. So it's not just trying to get an a, another amen corner, but rather to uh, what we said in the beginning, like to, with care and graciousness, restore a brother who has sinned, especially if in fact there is a true sin there. So that's my two cents. Yeah. Yeah, to add, add some some uh, from my own experience uh, to that, uh, you know, there was an issue in a church before, and uh, the goal was restoration with this church member, and it was hard to get the person to meet with me. And uh, so I'd already, you know, we talked before personally, we'd have personal contact, but now I wanted to move to the next step. Again, the goal is restoration. And so in order to get the person to meet with me, you know, I offered to have people meet within the church that she felt was more uh, neutral. Uh, more felt like kind of would have been a, a good mediator there. And so that way she's able to hear out the story, you know, she's able to, and then she can go back to the church and say, yeah, we've, you know, not only, not only can those two witnesses confirm that the sin's going on and there's a lack of repentance, but the two witnesses can confirm that these steps have been taken we were there, we've confronted them. And so it's that way, you know, one person can't make these false accusations and just get away with it. So it's certainly the, the logic of this, of this process is uh, reflective of the infinite wisdom of God. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And this isn't the first time we see this idea of two to three witnesses. This is actually mm, kind right. of very important throughout the biblical text. So let's just go to the law. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with the offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall charge be established. There is value here 
in that it's not just my word against their word. Right. We now have a couple of people, hopefully in a, like a third, what we would say third party in our, our legal systems, who is evaluating the merits of kind of the case. Is there a real sin being addressed here? Is there something that needs to be done? And then also, if there is something to be addressed, there is real sin, and the person does not listen to them, now you have people say, yes, this is a sin. This person is not listening. And this becomes important um, within bringing it before the church. It's not a he said, she said type of idea. Mm -hmm. This is even repeated in 1 Timothy chapter 5 when you have an issue with an elder. You don't bring it up your own. You need two or three with you to bring a charge against an elder. This idea of coming having witnesses goes on with kind of the entire Christian story. The women are witnesses yes. to the resurrection. Mm -hmm. Paul or John uses um, the idea of the spirit and the flesh as witnesses of Christ's body of who he is and having these kind of two to three witnesses establishes the truth and not just one person. I can't contort this story to fit my need to get this person out that it brings in kind of the objectivity of it and to bring the dialogue needing to do it again. We hope here that the person now sees their sins and repents mm. and ends the story. The first part, the last part of chapter 15 isn't just there every step of the way we want them to listen and to gain the brother. So even bringing the two to three witnesses as prescribed, I think by the law and how we deal with these things again is for that. So that they will see their sins, they will listen and they will be gained as a brother. Yeah. And, and that's the great thing about the word of God. As Jamie mentioned, you know, this is God is in, in his infinite wisdom, putting in these checks and balances so that we, if, if, if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I, I don't like the way you're doing this. I think you're, you're, you're handling this the wrong way. I think you're in sin. And I'm like, ah, you just don't like that because you don't like the way I say it, or you don't like the way I do this. Right. But then you bring yes. those other witnesses in and they can say, Hey, look, we're neutral. We're not coming in on this person's side, but we're looking and we're viewing this. And they could say, you know, this brother bringing this charge, he's got a point here. So it's not like you said, Mike, it's not this, well, <clears throat> you just don't like a, a way that I'm kind of doing. You don't like my, you know, it's just a preference issue. That's what can be, be said often. But reality, when you bring these other witnesses in and they're saying, no, look, I think this is a serious issue here. You, you should really consider this and repent because you are in sin. So there's those checks and balances that God, in, again, in his infinite wisdom, has put here in his word. Any other thoughts on uh, this? That's right on the money. I like You know, I think, I think when you go to, go ahead, brother. No, I was saying, I was just saying, great work. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jamie. <clears throat> I would just add, you know, if you notice, it goes from more of a personal confrontation to collective. And the further the process becomes, the more collective it becomes. Eventually tell the church. And, uh, you know, when Jesus tells Peter the keys of the kingdom have been given to you, you know, he gives it to the apostles apostolically and representatively uh, as, as the representatives of the church. So the church possesses this authority 
this is what makes church membership so important is that your 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 profession of faith becomes affirmed by the collective community of God's people. And so the, the issue then is a is credible testimony. Uh, two or three, we're not looking to bully up on you, like three people here who are just out for you. It's mm-hmm. like you said, it's, it's we're looking for uh, reliable witnesses and, and uh, neutral witnesses that are just looking to affirm the truth. Yeah. All right. So as we then move into this next step, now the witnesses come, they hear it out. They say, yes, you're in sin. It doesn't they, they don't want to repent. What do you do? You move on to this next step. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So, Mike, I'll let you go ahead. I mean, yeah, this is at this point. They have at this point proven themselves to be an unbeliever. Now, as Baptists, or as a Baptist, I want to claim that for everyone. Um, Because Presbyterians might not always agree with this. But as Jason, a Jason's Baptist, our, our resident Presbyterian for the night. So he can so, maybe show show the differences if there, there are um, any. You know, being kind of a credo Baptist, being a Baptist, um, faith is proclamation of faith is what one must possess to come into the church. When you get to this stage of church discipline, they have turned their, they've basically turned back their, against their profession of faith. And maybe it's a lapse like they still may be this is just a lapse and god's going to use it for his glory and obviously we don't know at the time of what's going on here but they're they're essentially denying their um profession and they're acting like an unbeliever they're acting like the guy from um first corinthians 7 All right, not exactly sure what happened there, but it kicked us all off. You were saying First Corinthians seven, Mike. That's all. Yeah, first, first. I mean, it's actually not. I had to look, seven, make sure my internet's still working. <laughs> um, where the guy is acting like a gentile, and Paul's mm-hmm. admission is to kick him out of the church. He's acting like a gentile. He shouldn't be part of the church. And when you get to this point, that's what they've shown themselves to be. They're at least acting like an enemy of God. Right. And that's the church is a collective of those who believe as a Baptist. And, you know, there will be false professions. No church is perfect, but at this point they're showing themselves to be a false convert and therefore needs to be, kind of removed from the church. So the church is notified and known about this in order that they may decide on how this to go. Now, as a congregationalist, this is probably a two-step. This would be announcing the charges, maybe hearing the witnesses um, to as much as the congregation needs to know. I don't think they need to lay everything out um, before the congregation, but they need to have enough information to make the right call to vote with their conscience in a way that as a church collective, they can say, yes, 
this is sin deserving excommunication or no, it should not. But even in this case, again, the goal is that he will listen, he will see his error, and he'll come and repent and be restored to the church. I think even within that too, though, also is as you're presenting it before the church, it's it's usually not we present it and then let's make a decision. There's some time mm-hmm. to where then the rest of the church can come and say, hey, brother, this is like, see, repent, brother. We don't want to see you put out. I Bobby saw you not in pressure. your Yeah, I saw you not in your head there, Jason or uh, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree with that. Uh, I think, again, it goes back to this is this ordinarily, I mean, there might be cases of real heinous sin or damning doctrine that's being propagated at that point, you know, maybe quicker, severe action is needed earlier in the process. But this is a long process. We're, we're, if we're, if our intention is really restoration, you know, we're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to try to be as patient as we can. Eventually it comes time because you've got to yes. cut it off and you've got to excommunicate, but we're going to be as patient as we can in hopes yeah. that this person repents. Yeah. yeah. And I think Mike made the great point that um, we too, as Presbyterians have a profession of faith to join the community, the church community. So, you're you're effectively turning your back on that. You're effectively mm-hmm. walking away from that. If you're if you're saying that, that when I sit down with the elders and I, I give my testimony and explain um, how I came to saving faith, but now I have this sin that I want to hold on to so much. And um, Ricky's come to me. Mike and Ricky have come to me. My elders have come to me, and I still want to hold on to my sin. I'm basically turning my back on them, saying, "No, I want to. I want to hold on to this sin. I don't want to let go of it." So, and and I mean that is a, a heartbreaking thing to think about, especially when you think about they're turning their back on not only on us, not only on the profession, but on Christ Himself. Yeah. I, and I don't know if you all have had discussions about some of the people that have apostatized, some of the more famous celebrities, if you will, mm-hmm. that have apostatized. But when you just think about like you're turning your back on the one, the only hope that you have. There is no other mm-hmm. hope. So you're, you're, I think Spurgeon said, giving up a, a life raft for a, a, um, a stem of straw. Mm-hmm. And like a dying man pushing away the life raft for some straw. That's yeah. what you are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and th- we got to, make it clear, I think, to the the audience listening and to those who are trying to examine and say, okay, maybe we don't know about church discipline, how this works. Maybe we haven't seen it practiced. But again, this is not a quick thing. This is not something you do in like a week and say, boom, this person didn't do anything. We're done. You're out of here. I've seen churches or know of churches, pastors and and people within their church who are dealing with certain things, and they will take a long process of working with trying to bring this restoration. Because again, as it's already been mentioned more than once, that's the goal. The goal is not because we just have a vendetta against this person. Let's get them out of our church. That No, it's a brother or sister in Christ that you love, that you care for, and you want to see them restored. Because we, again, we all have flesh that remains. We all are, are, are stupid at times and we, we get in our pride and we want to respond that way. Especially if somebody's coming at you hard and you're thinking, and it, I don't know what's wrong with these people. It's, it's not them. It's, it's, it's not me. It's them, right? Mm-hmm. 
but they're doing it for your own good. And it's a process because they love you. It's not, it's just like within a family. Um, if you got a wayward child, your first thing is not put them out the house. No, it's let's try to work yeah. with this kid until there's a point where maybe it becomes so disruptive in the house as a teenager or whatever, where you have to make those decisions, but you don't just kick your kids out. And within the church, you're loving them. You want to do what you need to do and take the time that's needed to try to bring them to restoration. But then sometimes that doesn't happen. And so then you have to move on to now that decision where now you're then removing them from the church, right? Anything else you guys want to say before we read the last part of that verse? I want to I just, just, I, I just want to add using the parent um, rebellious child analogy. You never stop pleading for them, even if even yeah. after you've sadly gotten to the point where you're you've put them out or you're you're asking them to no longer come around until something changes. You're still pleading for them, though. And it, yeah. it's not you're not trying to damage them. You're not trying to to uh, ruin it to totally destroy them rather, but rather you want them to repent and turn back, which is the purpose of church discipline. Yeah. Amen, brother. Yeah. Was- I just want to Mike's King question about someone who's left your church, could go to another church that may be of a different denomination, but doesn't seem to care about the sin of the individual. I mean, as a Baptist, I believe churches are self-autonomous. Um, I do think there's a responsibility for the pastor to, Tell the other pastor, this person's under church discipline. These are the charges that were against him. We believe these to be credible. Here's, again, enough evidence to allow them to make a decision. But at that point, if they choose to accept them in spite of the evidence showing that they should be kicked out of a church, um, then you, there's only so much you can do. And... Mm-hmm you've done what you can. If they choose to allow them to continue, that's a sin on their part. Now it's not a sin on the church um, with them. And I think even if they say he's restored, he's hasn't been restored because he needs to be restored with the church that this is with. And so that's kind of in at least in discussions. And as I think about it in my ecclesiology, I mean, that's as much as you can do. Um, I don't think a pastor can necessarily go after that church or try to like bring him back like X. I can't think of the the legal term, but to bring him back into to face the charge, you'd hope the other church maybe would help or try to encourage him to be restored. But if they choose to do no action, then that's you've done your part. And kind of in a sense, there's no blood on your hands. All right. Like it. So, was there any other thoughts um, before Mike was answered that question there, or do you want to move on to this last part here? Let's finish it up. Last one. All right, last one. So, again, if he if he refuses to listen to them, you tell it to the church, as we've said, and then if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a gentile or a tax collector. Now, this is, again, not that we were making this about MacArthur, but this is where we seen a lot of conversation and talk that MacArthur was doing this publicly. And, and ultimately, it was public within that church, um, and someone recorded it. But it was publicly put out in that church, like, hey, now we've come to this process. 
and we are now going to treat this person as a tax collector. We're going to treat this person as an unbeliever. Doesn't mean that they are. Maybe they're just stuck on that sin right now, and, and God will use this for them to recognize that sin and bring them back. But you're, you're putting them out, and, and that's this final process. It's not that you stop loving, as, as Jason, what you said, it's not that, like with your child, you're not, it's not you stop loving with them, you're not pleading with them or preaching the gospel to them, but it's that they are acting as an unbeliever, so you're treating them like one and giving them the gospel that they might come to faith if they're not, and if they are, that they would repent and come back to the, to the body there. I agree. I mean, yeah, your, your relationship oh, with them changes I, at this point to me. At that point, so you still love them. Uh, so at that point, they're no longer considered a brother to fellowship with in the context of the covenant community. Now they're considered an unbeliever to be evangelized. Yeah. Uh, and so that's just the difference. We still love them. Mm -hmm. and, and it's, it, we, but if they, and, and like you said, Ricky, they might not necessarily be an unbeliever, but to the best of our discernment, their life is contradicting their profession. And so we have to look at them that way. Uh, and, and again, it, it, I think a, a lot of the problems with even the, the vocabulary, the language we're using is, is nonsensical to modern evangelicalism because they have an unbiblical philosophy of church and ministry. Uh, the church growth pragmatic methodology dominates whatever can get butts in the seat. Yes. Uh, that's the goal. And so the church looked at, you know, the common cliche, it's a hospital for sinners, but it's not in reality. The church is a gathering of the saints. We gather to worship God. It's not that we put a sign up that says no unbelievers allowed, but the goal is not to get unbelievers in the church. The goal is to worship God to be edified, equipped, and then go into the world of the gospel. And since we've turned that upside down, church discipline doesn't make sense. If the goal of the church is to get unbelievers in to hear the gospel. Yeah. I want to jump in. I want to jump in because we've spent the better part of 20, 25 years doing church pragmatism, uh, seeker sensitive, get them in by any way, any means necessary. And, you know, again, we'll talk, just talk about it. When everybody saw that video of Johnny Mac standing up in the pulpit, excommunicating that woman, I guarantee you the vast majority of people that jumped in their keyboards and had a feeling, had their feelings hurt about it probably just did the open cattle call to church anyway. I mean, the process of church membership, I mean, the fact that you have to be a believer to be a member of a church is foreign to the vast majority of people in modern day context. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing that we're talking about is so needful because it helps people realize the severity and the intensity. They didn't just do that willy nilly. This wasn't done. Oh yeah, yeah we, we, we called her up on charges on Friday and excommunicated her on Sunday. No, there was a long process that took place, but there was other things that happened that you don't know. So I think it's good for us to talk about this to help people see like, this is how church is supposed to be. This open cattle call thing, we don't even, that's foreign descriptions don't know anything about that. So I just wanted to add that in there as well. Yeah, no, that's vitally important. And that that's really what's needed ultimately is a conversation about church membership, because what people tend to think is that, well, we don't see anywhere in the Bible that says you need to be a member. So therefore, where then do we have to take up this membership mantle? Well, if you're not a member of a local church, I would say that I would say that's opposite. It's, it's not 
foreign to the scriptures. It's it's implied there in the scriptures that they're planting these churches and yes. people are being dedicated to these churches. It's like I don't go to my wife and say, hey, you know, instead of getting married, let's just kind of play this marriage thing, but I'm not really committed. No, you commit to this this local church, to, to the bride, right? And so that's what really comes down to this, because then if it's just church shop, church shop, you can go here and fellowship with these people. And then when they say something you don't like, you can go over here. And then when they say something you don't like, you can go over here. And there's no commitment. There's no accountability. And then, then when church discipline would come up for you, the pastor, and they're not going to discipline you in the church because you're not a member. They may come and just say, hey, we, right. we think you should move along, but you're not really a member, so we can't really practice church discipline on you because you're just going to move to the next church anyway. You know, you're not, you're not committed. And so that's why I think it comes down to this, ultimately, this misunderstanding of church membership. And then when you are committed to that, then we see this flowing from that because of the love that's there. Any other thoughts? And then I want to shoot some things out there quickly in the last minutes and just get everybody to uh, some quick rapid fire kind of stuff. I'll add something from Acts 5. Uh, you know, if someone, when we're talking about church discipline, uh, Acts 5, I don't think is a passage a lot of people mm -hmm. think about, but the first act of church discipline in the Bible was inflicted by God. God killed Ananias and Sapphira for a lie. Yes. Uh, yeah. and, and notice what happens. So if you're a, pragmat, a pragmatist, you've got a problem with that. You're thinking this is a terrible church growth method. Uh, in fact, it says fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of it. That's mm -hmm. pretty public. The whole community heard of it. But then it goes on and says, but uh, if people dare not associate it with them, but they held them in high esteem because they practiced what they preached. They were holy people, serious people. And then it added that all the more believers in the Lord were being added day by day. So God is saving people. And, and if you uh, have a bad soteriology, and your view of salvation is pragmatic, that God saves by whatever we can do to coerce the sinner to choose Christ, then I could see why you would hate for, uh, church discipline. But if you're a biblical Calvinistic, you have a biblical Calvinistic understanding, God sovereignly ordains the ends and the means. He saves to the gospel. He built his church his way. Church discipline will make sense. Yeah, I like it. That's good. I think how the passage ends, like we stopped at 17, but when you consider 18, 19, 20, Mm -hmm. The church is doing this and the people of this and, but they're doing it in the authority of the Lord. Mm -hmm. He repeats in verse 18, what he's already told Peter in verse 16, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. This is the idea of who is saved and not saved. So we see this kind of authority, um, going in it again there's in 19 this kind of prayerfulness again i say to you if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask it shall be done in for them by my father in heaven and then the most one of the most improperly used verses with this is for two or three are gathered together in my name they're among them there's this authority in which <coughs> these people are acting on with Christ with Christ's authority and what they're saying is what they're doing has in, in a kind of in our perspective implications about this person's eternal life being excommunicated. They have now been loose. They've been let go. And 
So this is a serious matter that needs, as we've talked about, time and consideration. But it also comes with the authority of Jesus. We see this in 1 Corinthians 5. When Paul tells him, he goes in verse 3, For though absent in the body, I'm present in spirit. And if, a per if present, I'm also pronounced judgment on the one who has touched such a thing. And this is the person who's created a sexual sin that's even... Mm -hmm. Among the pagans, something you don't do. And then he tells them, when you assemble in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Yeah. And you see here, Paul going about, there is this sin it's known about. It needs to be dealt with. This guy seems to be unrepentant. And he's coming with, as even as his authority as an apostle, even more so the authority of Jesus. And that when we consider church discipline, the church is acting in its part with the power given by Jesus. Now, a, a unbiblical church may do church discipline and there may be things where it's not valid because of the church and what it is, but a biblical church, a church that's standing firm on the word of God, their pronouncements from our earthly perspective bring about the loosening of this person from eternal life in hope that, as we just do it, that Satan will destruct the soul so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Mm. Yeah. All right. So let's throw some rapid fire things out here quickly in the last couple minutes that we have. Um, what about, see, I, and I think it will tend to play out a little differently depending on uh, the ecclesiology, the church government, how you have it, you know, set forth. If there's a, a multitude of elders or if there's a single elder led, um, there can be abuse with this. So mm -hmm. what, what do we say to those who maybe have a single elder led pastor who's bent on getting somebody out, or maybe even it's a couple elders and they have an issue with a certain individual and they're bent on getting them out. What would we say to someone like that that's out there who may, may have that be the case? So my church, we have a multitude of elders it would be difficult for that to happen. Not saying it probably couldn't happen. Not saying it's not at all happened, but it, it, it would be much, it'd be pretty difficult to have it if there was a multitude of elders. Um, I, I'm actually kind of, I'm kind of wondering myself. I want to hear what everybody else would say. So I'm going to, I'm going to pass it to you all. So let's go. Yeah, I think, uh, obviously going back to the infinite wisdom of God, this is why he designed church this way. Right of a, a biblical functional ecclesiology of plurality of elders because that that lessens the opportunities of abuse at least of one guy trying to rule with an iron fist and get his way. Uh, but if you're in that situation, and, and I was in Syracuse, I was the only pastor at the time because we just didn't have men that were qualified at the time. But uh, hopefully the church has a good constitution where the congregation has some vote so they can vote out an unruly elder. Uh, and at the end of the day, if you're in a church where that isn't possible, then the only option at that point is to leave the church and find a biblical church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mike, any thoughts? Yeah. It's a hard one. Mm -hmm. 
because like it, there's a lot that can go with it. I think obviously ecclesiology matters. Having a plurality mm -hmm. of elders, having this come before the church is is important and wise. Obviously it's not perfect because we're humans and we can even use those even godly given means to do wrong things. And if you if you think that's happened to you, um, and you go to a different church, you've been excommunicated. You think it's wrongly done. Um, I mean, just talking to the church you're going to, tell them the situation. Um, kind of giving them what's happening, and let them also contact the last church to to see and to to kind of do their own investigation. And Get to consider, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to be part of it. Now, being in a Baptist <clears throat> associations, that can help. That you have churches of like-minded that can also take up. Obviously, they can't render a judgment because I believe in church autonomy, but they can help and intercede into to think about these things and to try to mediate something. But also, again, that brings in more witnesses. It brings in people who are kind of in a third party situation where they may say, look, that person did it wrong. He's in sin. I don't think those, those are with it. And you will, we can join our church. You can join our church and we will see you as a faithful member. We don't see you as the way they've, they've done it again. That's going to be church by church. And I think it needs to be, taken carefully it still follows a similar role and i think that's why associations or presbyterians or presbyteries um, allows for kind of this additional accountability without well in presbyterianism they they do have some say but in, in the baptist association having kind of thinking through these and to find and to find the truth and to make sure stuff is done rightly even though as a Baptist in the end, they can't make a church do anything, but I still think there's that importance in, in having that kind of clarity. I mean, Luke does this in acts. One part mm -hmm. of acts is why does Luke include all of these governmental interference in which Paul is showing to be not guilty of his crimes. All mm -hmm. these people are bringing false accusations to them. And Luke repeatedly shows, look, we've done nothing wrong against the Roman government and all these charges are false. I think there's wisdom in there and bringing other people and having kind of that, a credibility, even when another church is stepping in and investigating, um, the charges. Yeah. All right. So I'm, this is the last one. And then we'll, we'll, we'll close it out because I want to respect your guys' time. I know we're all busy men and whatnot. And so, now, what do we do online or with brothers that are from other churches? How does this play out? I know it's a lot. Maybe you could say, but how does this play out? Because obviously this <laughs> we've been talking about the importance of the local church. So if I have an issue with Jamie, 
how do how do I go about this being that he's in Tennessee? I'm here. We don't go to the same church. How would we play this out? Just some thoughts. Just throw them out there. And um, I know it could probably we could probably go a long time. So I'm, I know it's it could be a lot of things to say on it. But with with graciousness, no matter what, mm-hmm. no no matter how we do it, however we discuss it, whether it be online or through text message or phone call, I think we should just keep it gracious because again there's so much that can be misunderstood through these different means and mediums and just recognize like hey maybe i'm not understanding you correctly or maybe you're coming off kind of harsh or whatever just be gracious to one another i think that would probably be my that'd be my two cent i would add to this hopefully we can make a dollar yeah i, I would add you know I, i've just seen a situation like this I and mean, some of your brothers i think know this guy uh some some real crazy stuff in Facebook world has been gone for years and somebody's contacted his elder and now they're taking care of that. So one thing to do is if, if you know this person's a part of a church, contact his elders and let him know that, you know, you think this person's in some serious sin and then his elders and his church can deal with it there. And if the person's not in a local church, uh, then obviously personal, loving, gracious confrontation via private message or whatever. And from there, you know, the person's living like an unbeliever. He's not a member of a church. Now, he doesn't have God for his father, or the church for his mother doesn't have God for his father. It doesn't mean everyone who's not a part of a church is unsaved, but he's living that way at least at the moment. And so at that point, you really deal with him more as an unbeliever, I think. You, you can personally pray for him to repent and, and leave it there. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, it's, it's obviously a sticky situation. Let's just put it out there. Online makes this yeah. harder to think about because there is no interaction at a more personal level. It's not like I can, you know, ask any of you to go meet with meet coffee with me here in Louisville, Kentucky. Cause none of you live here. We can't discuss it kind of privately, maybe exchange phone calls, but even then like phone calls is uh, a little still impersonal. Um, even though you get to kind of hear voice. Um, I think there is wisdom and is this a sin I should call out? or not is this you know again should i should this be something i cover with love mm-hmm. um being in more public i'm not against it even if you don't do it privately but even establishing the facts publicly especially if they've pulled it because at this point it almost at least to me it seems like they've gone like kind of straight to the church. This isn't just private anymore. Now, if it's private messages, that's different. But if it's like on Twitter, if someone's bashing me on twi- Twitter, saying unkinds, maybe using dropping cuss words, and they're claiming to be a Christian, there's a sense in which it's already open. It's mm-hmm. almost like the church was there to see it. Yeah. I mean, obviously... <clears throat> I'm not saying that everyone's there at church, but there's that openness there that I think requires to be, again, the way we talked about loving and gracious and trying to seek and to show where they're wrong. But I'm under the pressure. I think this is dealing biblically that it it's done in, in the open. That's kind of where it happened. I think some of these sins maybe like as we talk about church discipline, it's when we're together, 
-hmm. it may be more private. It could be a, be a more church. I think having two or three witnesses in that case, you know, brings it up, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean like, I think a lot of times people say, well, you just need to, you need, you should have dressed it private before it goes in. Well, if, if it's, it's Twitter public, and people yeah. are, are retweeting it, that's already kind of, you already pushed past that bound. Mm -hmm. um, obviously there is, God cares about the means and the ends when we discuss these things, how you act with it. Um, and in some sense, like someone who publishes something publicly, it's opening to the rebuke that comes with being in the public forum. Right. And we do it loving and graciously. And so that's kind of how I think about these, this topic. Um, I know people like to say on Twitter, well, did you talk to him privately? Um, yeah, that's just not, I don't think when you get to online and the communication in the public forum, right. Maybe it's a good idea, but I don't think it's necessarily. Um, the proper response. Yeah, it could be maybe uh, out of out of graciousness, go into somebody and say, "Hey, brother," and they're not hearing you. Well, you put it out there publicly. You need to be publicly, you know, rebuked. Uh, so there's so many more things that we could have talked about. I know we we could have talked about sometimes where you don't go through these steps because there's obviously times where, like you said, it's already out there. Other people have seen mm -hmm. it, so maybe you've gone past those steps because already th the situation has moved past that. So those are some things that could have been talked about. Um, the other ideas that uh, when it comes to this idea of what does it mean to shaming and why that's there, is it really public shaming? We could have spent some more time on that uh, as well. There, there's so many things we could have, have got into. Um, and my mind was thinking of all these different things and with a short amount of time, that, you know, you can't cover it all. But one of the things the Bible does tell us, th th it's important for us to be part of a local church because it's for the benefit of our souls. And it's for the benefit of the others around you, right? Because you have gifts, you use those gifts for the others, not for yourself, right? But in Hebrews, it tells us in Hebrews 13, uh, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Okay, it says this, and then it says, For that would be no advantage to you, brothers and sisters. So we submit. There could be abusive leaders. There could be people who use their authority wrongly, but the scriptures speak about that too. You can go to 1 Peter 5 and it will speak mm -hmm. about that. But it's for the benefit of your soul. These people that are over you, and I, I would encourage a multitude of elders if you can. There are some single elders. I know I'm in a church with a single elder, but if, if that's a biblical way of doing those things, sometimes it can't be that way. But when you have that, it helps avoid some of these situations from going further or having those abusive uh, pastors. But the, the ones that are not, and they're doing it faithfully, and they're trying to follow the biblical principles to the best of their ability, they're doing it. And, and shepherding you, and it's for your benefit because God has placed them into that position. So I know we've gone a little bit longer. I want to give you guys each a short time to say any final words, thoughts, uh, and anything you want to add to the conversation. Jason, we'll start with you. Well, hey, I appreciate you having me on tonight. This was a lot of fun. It was nice meeting you all. I enjoyed the chat and hearing how everybody was edified by this. Hopefully we'll continue to have this kind of, kinds of discussions. I know I'll be having this discussion 
with a couple of my elders and pastors on this Saturday at 10 o'clock on my channel, Dear Woke Christian. We'll be having a very similar conversation. So hopefully they'll come and check it out and we can have keep it going. So thank you again for having me. Yeah. All right. Thank you, brother. Yeah, Jason, it's good to meet you, brother. I really appreciate uh, your Absolutely. insight. And uh, Ricky and Mike, thank you guys for having me again and always enjoy these edifying conversations. I just hope, you know, from all of this, listeners would come away with understanding the importance and centrality of the local church and the life of the Christian. And none of this makes sense apart from that context. And that is where the Christian is to live his life in the context of the local church. Yeah. Amen. Mike, final words, and we're closing it out. Yeah, just something I was thinking about, kind of maybe not addressed it, but I think is important is that church discipline is in the confound of a church and it should stay in the confounds of a church. Like the video of what happened at John MacArthur's church 20 years ago, that's sad and shouldn't be that way. Obviously, there should be transparency within the church and that church should have it. But this is a very private thing that a church has to do each step of the way mm-hmm. and using it in that way to demean a church just is, is just destructive. And it in one sense tarnishes the, the bride of Christ. We do these things together and it's a community. And so when we excommunicate one, it should be a time of, of sadness and mm-hmm. it should be a time of personal of that is great personal. It shouldn't in one sense, leave the church walls unless it, it needs to be. Obviously there are cases in which law enforcement may need to be involved depending on wh- what has happened. <clears throat> there requires church discipline or if they try to go to another church, and letters have to be sent and it has to be known in that way, but it should be kept private and close and only released when need to be. And I think that's an important to think about even in, in the seriousness of what it is, it is a painful process that we should try to keep as much as possible within the walls of the church. Um, you know, and how that is dealt all right so that's been g220 radio for tonight thank you for tuning in uh i would encourage you to go watch uh dear Wolf christian's channel this saturday and get some more because mike even brought up the legal aspects of some things we didn't even touch on that so there's there's another thing that could be added into this conversation there's so much to it but uh until next week god bless and good night